Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hey guys, Perry here. Let's make some mayhem. Shoot and loot your way through a mayhem-fueled adventure in Borderlands 3. Blast through new worlds and enemies as one of four new playable vault hunters, each with deep skill trees, abilities, and customization. Play solo or with your friends to take on insane enemies, score loads of loot, and save the galaxy from a fanatical threat. Mayhem is available now on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Pre-order now at Borderlands.com. Rated M for Mature. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. On today's show, we're talking about HBO buying bad education for big money. On top of that, the Peacock app has been announced. Are you going to sign up for this streaming service? And also, we've got some comments from Todd Phillips about a potential Joker sequel. Is it not happening after all? We are going to discuss that on today's show. Hello, hello, everybody. We've got a great panel today that consists of Silas and Jabby. So excited to dig into some of these topics. But first up, we got our call sheet rundown, beginning with our first story. It is HBO, and it's currently in the process of purchasing the movie Bad Education, which stars Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney out of TIFF for a record-breaking sum that's reportedly near $20 million, a huge deal right there, that would allow HBO to air the film globally, and it would also make it Emmy, SAG, and Golden Globe eligible, but for next year. So that would mean no Oscars necessarily for Jackman and Janney. Next up, LeBron James's house party movie at New Line has a director. It's Comatic. He's been tapped to take the reins of the remake. Of course, he just directed the music video for Lil Nas X's hit remix of Old Town Road. That video has more than 327 million views on YouTube right now. I watched it this morning. It's super cool. All right. Next up, NBC Universal announced the title, launch date, and programming lineup for its brand new streaming service. It is going to be called Peacock. 
launching in April 2020 with over 15 hours of content, including new programming like a Battlestar Galactica reboot, a Save by the Bell revival, and so much more that we're going to get into later on today's show. Next up here, the Russo brothers had a little more to say about the Spider-Man MCU split. Here is what Joe Russo told the Toronto Sun. It was a tenuous, fraught union throughout the whole process, but I will say, stepping back and trying to be objective as possible, that I think it's a tragic mistake on Sony's part to think that they can replicate Kevin's penchant for telling incredible stories and the amazing success he has had over the years. I think it is a big mistake. Now switching gears and moving over to Joker a little bit, director Todd Phillips backtracked on his comments regarding a possible Joker sequel. Here is what he just told at GameSpot. It's so annoying, you say one thing and it becomes the story for 24 hours. The quote was, I will do anything Joaquin wants to do, and I would, but the movie's not set up to have a sequel. We always pitched it as one movie, and that's it. We have no plan for a sequel. We made this movie. I pitched it to Warner Brothers as one movie. It exists in its own world. That's it. It's not about world building. It's not about other versions. It's like, here's our version of the origin story. That's it. That's what I meant. We're going to get into that more later on today's show. But before we jump into our panel discussions, we got another clip from a Toronto 2019 interview for you. We had Stellan Skarsgård swing by for the movie Hope. And while he was there, we had to ask him a little bit about Dune. So here's a clip of him talking about working with Denis Villeneuve. We have to talk a little bit about Dune. We have a whole lot of Dune fans out there. So what has the experience been on that project thus far, especially with a director like Denis? It's, I mean, he's, he's a, I always wanted to work with him, but partly because he's such a wonderful man, but also because he's a brilliant director. And he's, uh, he, he's a filmmaker. It's, 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 it's fun when you get one of those big sci-fi movies and it's going to, you know it's going to be directed by a, a true s- filmmaker. It's not going to be directed by the studio. And they, 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 it seemed like they were giving him pretty free hands. And you have to, because his, his personal stamp on the film is paramount for the success of it. Uh, so I had a lot of fun doing it but, I, but it, was, but I had seven hours in makeup every day uh, because I had to be really fat. <laughs> so, so it was hard. Walking away from it, what do you think it is about his rendition of Dune that's really going to, you know, capture the hearts and imaginations of a wide audience? Because it is not an easy book to adapt. No, it, it isn't. But and his his what he's really good at is creating this strange atmosphere uh, with his imagery and uh, and this cinematic poetry that is is his trademark. And that will will add so much uh, uh, richness to to the pretty simple story. The Witching Hour is all over Collider right now. You can listen to that horror-filled podcast with myself, with Haley Fouch. We talk about witchiness. We talk about slashers. We talk about space horror. You name it. All on that show on the Collider Factory feed. And on top of that, you can find an article all about Witching Hour every single Tuesday on Collider.com. Check it out. Get scared. Hopefully you survive the Witching Hour. All right, it's time to say hello to Javi and Silas. How you guys doing? Good morning. I'm fantastic. Are How you about excited yourself? to talk about Joker? I'm excited to talk about everything. Okay, good. Yeah. That's the attitude I like. So this first story we want to discuss today is Todd Phillips' comments on his previous comments that pertain to a possible Joker sequel that apparently is not in the works. So... Given what he said this time around and the fact that he didn't just clarify his last statement once, he went ahead and he did it again and completely said it's not about world building. We went in with one movie. Do you take him at his word right now or could he maybe be swayed by a huge box office success and maybe even some Academy Award nominations in the movie's future? Well, the first person I think about when it comes to talking about sequels is Joaquin Phoenix. And would he want to do that again? Because... Like, imagine asking Daniel Day-Lewis to do a sequel to, like, Gangs of New York or something. Like, you know, where they invest so much of themselves into a role. Like, he, lo- he lost all that weight. It's a lot to go and revisit that person mm-hmm. and, and do that again. I, has Joaquin Phoenix ever done a sequel to anything? I can't think of any off the top of my head. So, like, that's where I would start. 
in, in, in my head. Well, I believe it was, uh, when it comes to the MCU, it was Doc- Dr. Strange, right? That he was at least considering and then didn't jump into because it would have been obviously, you know, a franchise commitment. And that's why I think Joker wound up happening is because they committed to one film and one film alone. So I was a little surprised to see when all those headlines came out that said, oh, they're considering a sequel, even though, in all fairness, Phillips was right. He never specifically said that. Yeah. I I do. I will say I feel a little bad uh, analyzing uh, Todd Phillips' second wave of uh, what he means because exactly what he's complaining about is is people saying, like, oh, well, what if he's not saying what he's actually saying? Uh, That being said, I think uh, approaching it as a single film is absolutely the way to make a quality film. Uh, And if he decides something different down the line, great. I would almost rather, if the Joker is a giant success, though, uh, have them hand off other Batman villains to other auteur directors. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And then if you want to bring them all together, do like Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum or something and, and mash together this... Yeah, but again, I don't know if Joaquin Phoenix would ever come back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he strikes me as someone who's like, I did it, I visited this role, I'm done with it. I'm moving on to the next interesting project. It's definitely a real possibility, and of course, I don't want to pick apart his quote now either. The other thing we do have to consider, and I hate saying these words, everybody out there knows it, but it's a business we're talking about <laughs> here, and Warner Brothers is going up against studios with massive franchises, and especially, you know, when I think about how Fantastic Beast panned out, what's going on with the Godzilla film franchise, they really do need a whole bunch of hits. You can't just have one, you gotta have many and what if this movie comes out is a smash at the box office and warner brothers as the studio is tempted to continue this story can they do so without phillips Uh, i think they'd have to well i think they mm, yeah they could they can do anything i mean totally yes in short yes i haven't seen the movie yet yeah so i have no idea not all of us are as fortunate as the perry (laughs) oh you had to lose that in um i guess coming at it from that perspective, I would not want to see another movie. I mean, I think actually probably the bigger question isn't necessarily would Warner Brothers continue on without Phillips. You can't make another Joker movie without Joaquin Phoenix. His his performance in this movie is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And really, I can understand if he didn't want to make another one of these just from the perspective of how physically, emotionally, and mentally demanding a movie like this might have been. So some of you know my thoughts on the movie. I walked out of this fairly disturbed and upset and not necessarily thinking I had a great time and want to see that over and over again. But I will say I walked out wanting to see the next chapter of his story. So I am a little tempted by, you know, whether it's real or not, all of this sequel talk. I do want to see another, but I also think it's a brilliant move for Warner Brothers to kind of carve out this small area where maybe they're doing one-offs for a whole bunch of villains. Yeah, I think your idea is awesome. Like, just exploring the different villains and whatnot, I think, would be the way to go. Because then you can bring in different actors, you know, of high caliber to do these performances. But again, you run into the thing where you couldn't necessarily franchise it. Because if you're bringing in a Joaquin Phoenix type person every single time to deliver this amazing performance, like they, I don't necessarily think that they'd want to keep doing that. Not to compare this to Marvel, but in a sense, isn't that semi what they were doing at the very beginning? I know it was all leading to Avengers, but they did start who, with a whole bunch of standalone introductory they movies. Did, they did, but who in, a, in any of those Marvel films did anything that was really taxing on their body, taxing on them mentally, physically, the way it was for Walker? I imagine he just, like, you know, he basically pulled a machinist and, and got really skinny and whatnot. Like, I don't think that anyone can sustain that for 10 years. Yeah, I'm hesitant to make any assumptions about how hard any of the Marvel actors work. But again, this performance is next level. And when I do say that Warner Brothers and Todd Phillips and Phoenix could have maybe some potential Academy Award nominations in their future, this performance from Joaquin Phoenix is hands down one of the best I've seen all year. And I, at this point in time, think he should be nominated. It, It would be amazing if he won an Oscar for this because it would be the second time a comic book Per character has won an Oscar, right? And it would also be the same character. <laughs> because the last time it was Joker. Yeah. I think that'd be so cool. You never know. The The award season race is shaping up right now. It's still evolving. It's like we saw so much at TIFF, but there's still New York Film Festival. No one's seen Irishman. There's so much more that we still have to wait to see. But right now, he's at the top of my list. Yeah. 
you had a little uh, oh, I, I theory. have a, a crazy we can't, we a crazy can't move on without a crazy Silas theory <laughs> that actually uh, it sounds pretty sound to me so uh, my, my theory is that uh, Joker is actually Todd Phillips' second Joker movie in a way um, I don't know if, if you've ever watched the the audio commentary on uh, the hangover but uh, Todd Phillips and Zach Galifianakis despite uh, appreciating one another and respecting one another, they butt heads and they butt heads like crazy. And I, I, even in interviews and things, I've seen the same thing happen. Uh, I have a theory, and I even sort of confirmed this asking Robert Downey Jr. at the, the due date press conference uh, if due date was inspired by the making of The Hangover. And Robert Downey Jr. said he was, in a way, playing Todd Phillips in that movie. And that movie is sort of Todd Phillips, Robert Downey Jr., forced to travel across the country with this unbearable clown played by Zach Galifianakis, who is sort of doing a, a heightened version of his performance and tormenting Robert Downey Jr. the entire ride. It's interesting that he went on to play the Joker in Lego Batman. <laughs> only, only you. Only you would be able to express that in a way that actually makes sense. What if Todd Phillips and Zach got back together to make another DC villain film? Origin story. I actually wouldn't mind seeing uh, Phillips hone his craft by sticking with that. Like, not necessarily making another Joker movie, but sticking with Warner Brothers and making more movies in this style and tone for other villains. Yeah. So if you guys had to make a guess right now, hypothetically, Joker comes out beginning of October. It is a smash hit. What do you think the next announcement regarding these darker DC films that Warner Brothers is going to make? Uh, I don't have any guesses right now off the top of my head. How about you? I, I think we're we're going to need to wait a while before we get any sort of confirmation just because even with this hitting, we're going to get Birds of Prey very soon yes. thereafter. And the question is quickly going to become, uh, is this specific dark stylistic approach what's working or is the variety of the DC universe we're building what's working? I, I think I'll take it a step further and say that when this movie comes out and when it is a smash hit, they are going to announce another movie done in the same style and tone for another yeah. villain. I think they're going to do it within maybe two weeks of the movie's release. Yeah. I think that Warner Brothers is going to go the more adult, mature route while Marvel's going more family-friendly, so to speak. You know, because all the Marvel films are PG-13, for the most part. And so, you know, if Warner Brothers is seeing something work here, they're going to keep exploring that. Well, DC and Warner Brothers is actually in a good position where, again, when this movie is a success, they can have both sides operating because they've still got Aquaman coming out. They've got Shazam. Oh, it's like they've got a lot of family-friendly fare, and now they can have the darker stuff, too. So, I don't know. They seem like they're in pretty good shape right now. Yeah. I wouldn't even mind uh, seeing this approach being taken to characters that exist in... I mean, getting Michelle Pfeiffer back as Catwoman would be amazing. And Whoa. you could do a Catwoman movie uh, stylized in a certain way that... Who wouldn't want to see that? I think you almost just, like, ruined the post-Joker announcement that I'm predicting, (laughs) because if it's not that, I don't think it's ever going to hit that level for me. That right there is what I want What would that be? What would that look like? So so it's, like, post-Batman, like, where everyone's just old? I I mean, just off the top of my head, I'd go to, like, uh, Frank Miller's year one and take that version of Catwoman, mix it with the Michelle Pfeiffer version, and tell... Oh, my God, I can't remember that version of Catwoman at all. I read that, too. Okay. That, well, that sounds interesting nonetheless. I'm and, very into it. Silas, why do you have to make my expectations so high? Why can't we bring back Michael Keaton while we're at it if we're going to do all that? Oh, absolutely. Do a Dark Knight Returns, but with Michael Keaton. I mean, okay, yeah. I would love to see a Batman Beyond adaptation with Michael Keaton. I would never say no to more Michael Keaton. Yeah. Although I am very much uh, looking forward to seeing Robert Pattinson's interpretation and as much as I want Michael Keaton... I want to see him get the spotlight for a little while, so I'll right. stick with Robert Pattinson for I, now. I would also say in, in the pantheon of DC villains, the ones that have been really emotional to me in the past, primarily because of the animated series, are Mr. Freeze and Clayface, hmm. and both of those would, would be amazing to explore in a film. Yeah, well, they haven't gotten Mr. Freeze right yet, yeah. so, so <laughs> we still need to do that. <laughs> Maybe they'll uh, bring Arnold back to, to give him another go. Uh, I, you know, originally I really before, hope not. Before Arnold, they were looking re- at Patrick Stewart, who's still like yeah oh my god yes that would be amazing that's so yes i agree with that 1000 percent. okay so so we've got we're we're all in agreement now we want michelle pfeiffer back as catwoman but we want the patrick stewart version of freeze sounds good i would take a patrick stewart version of anything i mean honestly he's so good he's all right he's so so enjoyable and i have a feeling many out there would too but mr freeze especially i think that actually suits him really really well okay I i don't know 
No, I'm into it. Yeah. I'm into it. We uh, we've got a lot to look forward to with uh, the the blossoming of the darker DC movies. So I'm excited to see what they do next. But, but how many of these do we get to have before people get exhausted by it? Because it's like you said, oh. it's very very dark. We haven't even gotten the first. <laughs> I know, one yet. but it's so, but it's like, but the thing is, you can you can keep doing a Marvel tone for years and years and years because it's it's like it's positive, it's enjoyable. But like the Joker is a very dark dark you know story. I haven't seen it yet. You have, but like. I am, it's like, how many of those can you have before people are like, okay, well, this, is, this is too much? I think it just comes down to what you have to say by challenging your audience with material like that. It's like if they continually come out with these really dark films that have something to say and, and continue... Because one of the cool things I think about Joker is no matter how you feel about it, it's going to be an interesting conversation that's going to continue now through award season. It's going to make you think. It's going to challenge you. And if they keep doing that and if they keep inspiring interesting conversation, I think it could go on for a while. But it is, you know, it's a fair point that when you have a crowd pleaser, it's, you know, like candy you could pop in your mouth over and over. and yeah. You don't have to ever have enough of it. But this, this is something that... I think will be very interesting to many out there. And, you know, like it did to me, it might upset some people out there. And it's just going to lead to a really interesting conversation soon enough. I'm curious to know what you guys think when you see it, too. All right. I want to know what everybody thinks. Right now, though, I want to know what you guys think about Peacock. I'm just like, (laughs) I get why they did it. For some reason, I'm just having a really tough time just rolling with that title. But that is NBC's (laughs) streaming platform. And they have announced a whole bunch of new projects some older films and older shows that are going to be available. The big question, though, with this is we have so much streaming content out there. We have Disney Plus on the horizon. You know, Warner Brothers is working on their thing. You know, there's HBO Max. There's Apple. I could go on and on with a list of streaming services that you could sign up for right now. Is there anything about the Peacock lineup that makes you think this is a must? They got my money. Kind of. I mean, honestly, the, the list of Disney Plus uh, stuff came out, and while it's great and certainly worth the price they're charging, uh, I did realize that a- as somebody who sort of hoards physical media, uh, I mean, I, I, my, my apartment's like like Hugh Jackman and Prisoners with food. I have that with movies. And I realized, oh, I, I own most of these movies that I care about already uh, from collecting them. And there's something about just sitcoms that that is kind of what I want from a streaming service. I want to be able to turn it on in the background and not necessarily pay a lot of attention. Mm. And it, it looks like NBC is exactly that. I'm like you. I have a lot of physical media, but I like the idea of being able to... Like, one of the cool things about Netflix before I get on a plane, for instance, is to download the movies, right? That. You that, know, that, that. You know, and so with mm-hmm. NBC, if they give me that same option, if the interface isn't just a muddy interface, if it's like as sensible and simple as Netflix, I think it could be really strong and really cool. Like to be able to take all of Frasier with me on a plane and just watch that for an eight hour, 12 hour flight. I think that's awesome. Like it definitely comes down to the content available, but the downloadable feature to me is one of the biggest game changers because yes, we all have Wi-Fi in our lives almost 24 seven, but it's the time that you don't have it, that you want something to occupy yourself. Like when I'm on a plane, when I'm somewhere where there isn't a great connection and the movies and shows that I have found myself prioritizing are the things that I can download and guarantee I can watch wherever, whenever I want. So in my mind, at this point, I'm really, I'm up to my eyeballs in streaming service fees between, you know, we have Netflix, that is a big priority to me. I'm not going to let that one go. Of course, I love my Shudder. I'm not letting that go. I Hulu, uh, Amazon, and now Disney Plus coming out. I look at this, and unless there is a downloadable feature, I can can't necessarily find anything that's going to make me jump in. The Battlestar thing has me intrigued. Saved by the Bell has me intrigued. But even when I look at this lineup of films that they have for launch, and I know they're going to add to this library, I mean, I'm not even that big into physical media, but I I own a lot of these. Yeah, so I, but, there's I don't a con- know. but there's a convenience factor. For instance, for me, I have the box set of Breaking Bad, like the whole thing with the... Um, Oh, the barrel? The barrel, yes. Thank you. And to load up a Blu-ray for one episode would take like five minutes. It was the most aggravating thing. Whereas, and I timed it. 
I, t- I put on Netflix, uh, Breaking Bad, and it was like loading in two seconds. It bypassed all the garbage of what it takes when you own physical media, which is so infuriating because like I paid for you. Why can't I skip the warning? Why can't I skip all this crap? And why can't Blu-rays remember where I was last at? Like, it's so irritating. No, it's a fair point. You I know? mean, it seems like, you know, like, why don't you just put the energy into like, you know, finding your place so that you don't have to spend the money. But uh, if I'm being honest, I've done the same thing where i've bought something that i've owned just because i don't feel like getting up and putting it in my dvd player yeah i think this is the future though i feel like what we're gonna have is a like we already see it there's gonna be a bunch of streaming services and they just need to come down in price because then we can have all of them and then it's like having channels again you know we just swap just between be streaming like a services new version of our cable packages yeah no it basically is yeah i mean and you get to choose what you want to have like well, cable all right until we get there i like playing this game with panelists especially now that we have another one in the mix now if you had to only subscribe to three streaming services what would you choose and why netflix disney plus and probably this I, oh, wow. I think this is awesome. Okay. I mean, they have a lot. They got 15,000 things in their library already. Like, this, they're coming out the gate strong, mm-hmm. like, punching hard. And I think it's awesome. Like, I actually feel very positive about this. Silas, what you got? I, the only one I'm, I'm sure of is CBS All Access because I can't oh, not course. have Star Trek. Um, but probably Netflix and Disney Plus. Yeah. I All mean, right. I, I think that Disney Plus is, like, even if they were just giving me Mandalorian. I'd probably get Disney+. That, Plus. That's very much true. While I was sort of disappointed by the selection they have starting off, I think the price is worth it just for some of the new stuff that's coming. Yeah. I mean, Mandalorian's what the most expensive TV show ever made. So I think it's it looks so cool. I mean, I'm so excited about it. I would pay $10 a month to watch that. I'm, so. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, too. I just I want to see someone embrace event programming. Like, I want one of these things, if it's Mandalorian or something else, to turn into, you know, the conversation starter that Game of Thrones was. I just miss that feeling of, you know, every night when the show aired, that's all my Twitter feed was about. It's like everybody in that moment was focused on the same piece of content. And when we have the, the binge-watching format... That same thing doesn't happen the same way, if you know what I mean. And I feel like if one of these streaming services figures out a way to capture that, that could wind up being the game changer or at least something to differentiate it from the type of uh, streaming binge watch content we've gotten thus far. Netflix knows about that. They, they actually I forgot where I think I was watching uh, Unbox Therapy or something, uh, Lou. But he was talking about that where Netflix is recognizing that binge watching mm-hmm. is less satisfying for people. I've, I, I've always felt that. Binge watching is not as satisfying as once a week watching your show and then talking about it with people, allowing yourself to digest it and whatnot. And I think Netflix is going back to that. You already see them doing it with um, David Letterman, where it's like mm-hmm. once a week they're releasing stuff. And I think that's a very smart way to go about it, but they need to go closer to what you're saying, which is there's a designated time and day that these things are coming out so we can all get excited. It's kind of funny how it's like all the technology is getting more and more advanced, but we're talking about basically a streaming service version of a cable package. We're talking about, you know, event pro programming which is how i grew up watching er every thursday night with my family yeah it's like we're going forward but we're also going back at the same time well you know how in cars when you when you try to like connect your phone bluetooth it goes oh you're driving right now can't connect you you gotta wait my car's way too old for that okay well my my car doesn't let me connect unless unless i'm stopped so it's like mommy and daddy all the time and i think that the streaming services are doing the same have to do the same thing where it's like we have to limit how much you can watch in order for you to enjoy it properly. I don't necessarily think that, because I I do find it interesting that uh, whatever report you found said that binge-watching is less satisfying. I almost find it it more satisfying with more, you know, with a more, uh, like, intense, empty feeling after. It's like I find the satisfaction of, let's say, recently watching, you know, all of Glow in one sitting or how I binged Haunting of Hell House. Just I really felt like by consuming that many hours of those programs, I lived in their world for a while. I didn't have to, like, step back out and step back in. So I definitely think there's a satisfaction level there. But I also think there is a satisfaction in this event programming. And I wish that streaming services would just, you know, find a balance. How well do you remember those shows when you're done binge watching them? Because I find that when I'm done binge watching it's like it kind of go goes away as fast as it came in shockingly i think i do 
I think I do remember it pretty well. I mean, I, I can't come up with it. I wanted to come up with a specific example of how I felt, you know, like especially when I was part of the Game of Thrones recap here, coming into the office once a week and watching it with the crew and how much I really remembered from that versus, let's say, Glow. But I'd, I personally do not find that there's much of a difference for me. Really? Okay. I, I personally find binge watching to be very taxing on me. <laughs> it is. Well, yeah. it is. It's, it is taxing. It's, it's just like it's unhealthy. I feel really bad about myself Aww. afterwards. I'm just like, wow, I didn't exercise at all. I need to get out of the house. There's daylight. Well, <laughs> you, you know, know what you could do if you're binge watching a Netflix show? You could download it and take it on the <laughs> treadmill with you. And then yeah. you could uh, kill two birds with one stone. You ever tried watching a show on the treadmill? Yes, really... I, I do it all the time. That's how you, I get all my miles. You're in. not treadmilling right hard now, enough if you're, if you're able to watch a TV show. Yeah, you can run. You could run and watch <laughs> a show. I, you're of. like those people who, who who reads your Kindle on, oh, on the no, treadmill, right? That like, I can't. I can't do. That, do. that would probably. I'm I'm not even prone to motion sickness, but that would probably make me motion sick. Silas, how satisfying do you find binge watching versus watching week to week? I, I think it totally depends on the show. Um, I think uh, something like uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is an example of something that I binge watched and kind of regretted because it all blurred together and I, I lost track of the show entirely. Uh, last weekend, I watched uh, Undone on Amazon Prime, and I, I it's sat down. so good. I loved it. And that show I, is incredible. I was grateful to be able to watch the whole thing all the way through. It felt like just watching a four-hour movie. Can you can you tell our viewers a little bit about Undone? Because that that's a show that I think, really, if you're into animation, if you're a fan of Rosa Salazar, you should be watching that show. It's it's fantastic. It's uh, it's entirely rotoscope, sort of like Waking Life or um, uh, uh, Scanner Darkly or Five Obstructions. Uh, it has such a unique look to it, and I believe it's created by the same guy who did uh, BoJack Horseman. And it has sort of a similar uh, thoughts on, on on life and depression, and uh, it's from the point of view of Rosa Salazar as a character who is in a car crash, and following the car crash, her, her mind is sort of falling apart, and you're not sure if she's suffering from schizophrenia or if her father, uh, who is Bob Odenkirk, uh, who has died years ago is trying to contact her from beyond the grave with the secrets of time travel. Mm. Uh, and it, it carries both of those ideas really well. Wow. Uh, do you consider, I'm sorry, just to go back. No, let's hear it. Did you consider YouTube a streaming service? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm rooting for YouTube also just because I'm a really big fan of, uh, Cobra Kai in particular. Yeah. I think they're doing incredible work with that. It's just, it doesn't feel like, you know, even though, you know, YouTube is one of the biggest video platforms on the Internet, it doesn't feel like they're making as much noise as, let's say, these other streaming services that yeah. we're talking about. Like, yeah. I feel like they need they desperately need a couple big hits on their hand. And also, as far as I'm aware, they don't necessarily have the libraries that these have. Yeah, but they got 300 hours of content being uploaded every minute. <laughs> so That's true. It's. It's a, a completely different type of content, though. Yeah. Well, the thing I love about YouTube that no one else is giving me, and I wish Netflix would give me, is the speed controller. And I, I, it's like, for some no. reason, for some reason, this is very controversial, and I don't understand why. Like, I love that I can watch a YouTube video at 1.5, two times speed, the nor you know, faster than the normal speed, because it allows me to ingest some... There's so much content now, it's so much to keep up with, that it's like, having that speed controller allows me to consume even more. But I don't want to... I don't want to consume more at the expense of the intended quality of the product and, the, filmmaker, and the filmmaker's intention. No one has tried it out, though. When you try it out, your experience... It, it, you have to try it before you speak about the experience, because I've watched... I watched Narcos Season 2 that way, and it was riveting. It was amazing. I tried watching... Narco but, season two, just as normal speed, and it was so boring. My friend convinced me to watch it anyway. I'm like, okay, fine. But I watched it at 1.8 speed, and it was amazing. But pace is such an important part of, of a filmmaker's style. It's like, it's all relative. I, You're just the, the, only, the, space. the only way I could, you know, kind of relate is when I queue up an audiobook, sometimes I'll listen to it at 1.25 because I just, I find the reading pace fairly slow but it's like when you're reading a book on your own it's like you you are you are the person who determines the pace at which you ingest the story mm -hmm. whereas when you know a director directs a, a tv show or a movie they are deliberately specifying a tone a style and a pace to best suit their material i have this small small conspiracy theory that Netflix sometimes designs shows, designs, designs shows deliberately slower to keep you there watching longer. Like, sometimes shows don't need to be 13 episodes 
13 Reasons Why. They don't sometimes need to be that long, but they want to keep your eyeballs on their programs, right? And so it's like, okay, fine, I'll watch all your shows, but give me the option. At least give me the option to watch it faster. Most people like you aren't going to do that, but at least give me the option so I can go through it more because I want to see more of your content. Otherwise, I'm just not going to watch it. I just don't have the time. <laughs> do I dare ask you to weigh in, Silas? <laughs> I, I, I had not thought that anybody did that. I, I hope that they do give you that ability. I myself would never do that. See? It seemed, although I do remember, uh, like 20 years ago, I had never seen uh, Touch of Evil, and I rented it from the library, uh, and I put it in my VCR and didn't realize that when I hit play twice, it played at double speed. Yeah. <laughs> and there had been so much talk of the opening shot of Touch of Evil being amazing, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see it. And it played at double speed, and I didn't realize, because uh, it's this one long tracking shot, and yeah. I was like, this is crazy. That music is so fast. And, uh, and then the movie actually continued playing. And I was like, oh, I, I did something wrong. <laughs> but see, like, it's, it, was a very, it was a very viewable experience. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. I don't know. I, I, y'all, you're going to get on board someday. No, no, yeah. no, I don't think I'm going to on that. Yeah. You know what I would get on board with? I like when streaming services have the instant rewind 15 seconds or 10 seconds, whatever it is, just because sometimes I like to hear. I'm actually going the opposite route because sometimes I, was just I like thinking to hear about, lines like, of dialogue twice. I'm like, now you time on the show? Well, it's because like when you have to, you know, when you have to scrub back on something, you can never get the precise point. But if you have the 10 to 15 second back loop, you can automatically get to that line you want. I don't know. I watched, um, I tried watching Dragon Ball <laughs> on my, uh, on the Blu-rays that I bought. The drag in the entire series, and I'm like, this is really slow. Like, I don't know how I can do this. And then I got the Funimation streaming service, and I watched it at almost two times speed, 1.9 speed, and it was amazing. And I got through the entire show, and it's like, I'm so invested in that show, and I wouldn't have been if not for the speed controller. All right, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna leave this <laughs> leave this alone, and actually hand it over to you. Would you watch a piece of programming on a streaming service at two times speed? Weigh in. Let us know if you're with Jabby or on 1. this one. Or one point five, or one point two five, or whatever. Or, or your, go slower. Maybe some people oh shows are too fast. Do not though. do that. Do not do that. But you could even do one point one speed and save yourself what ten percent of the time. You know, that's a lot. So, right. I mean, it sounds crazy to us, but you're probably training your brain to work so much faster than ours. All right. Well, right yeah. now, what we're going to do is we're going to force you to watch some Collider video promos at the appropriate speed so you can fast forward through this. Check out these promos. What's up, Collider fans? Ryan Satin here from ProWrestlingSheet.com, where you can find the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan like myself, then you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not checking out all the shows we do every week on YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet. In particular, on Wednesdays, we've got a SmackDown recap show hosted by John Roca and myself, where we pick apart and, and talk about every little thing that happened on the Blue Brand. So do yourself a favor and Go subscribe at youtube.com slash C slash wrestling sheet. Well, hello there. I'm Ken Napsok, one of the hosts of Collider Jedi Council. And I'd like to invite you to listen to our show, watch our show. It's on every Thursday. It's on the Collider video channel. And it's also available in podcast form if you'd like to listen to our sweet voices. On Collider Jedi Council, me, Christian Harloff, and a bevy of guests, I say, talk Star Wars. We celebrate Star Wars. We dig into the Star Wars news. We speculate everything about Star Wars, including your questions. So join us on Collider Jedi Council. You're going to have a great time. All right, it's time to talk a little bit about that bad education sale at a TIFF. First, just in case you guys don't know what this movie is, I have a brief synopsis here for you. It's directed by uh, Corey Finley, who was actually uh, in the Collider studio fairly recently for his movie Thoroughbreds. Long Island Superintendent Frank Tassone, played by Jackman, and his assistant superintendent for business, Pam, played by Allison Janney, are credited with bringing Roslyn School District unprecedented prestige that is until a plucky student reporter, played by Geraldine Viswanathan, decides to dig deep into uh, some expense reports and begins to uncover an embezzlement scheme of epic proportions. This actually all happened right next door to me growing up. I thought this movie was fantastic, and I walked out of it thinking that 
it could get in front of the most eyes and probably have the most successful run on a streaming service. But we have to consider the fact that this could be a prestige movie where, let's say, Allison Janney and Hugh Jackman might be in contention for awards consideration. So they've got three options going into a TIFF sale. You can go theatrical and run the risk of making a little less money on your movie. You can go to a streaming service or you can do an alternative, which is what they did by going with HBO. Let's pretend you guys are the producers of bad education which option do you choose and why i feel like in the best of all possible worlds i would always want a movie to go to the big screen first uh that being said i i can totally understand why streaming makes more sense and gets it in front of more people um but i i, I kind of feel like you can always go to a streaming service after I think it depends on my goals. Like, if I'm just trying to garner awards, then I'm going to go theatrical because I, I just, you know, that seems to be the traditional route is to have that theatrical run so you can, you know, have a, a shot at being a best picture or, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I'm thinking just strictly money, I'm probably going to go with HBO or whatever, you know, whatever's going to get me the most return on my investment. Yeah, well, that HBO arrangement, if it all goes through and closes, is freaking huge. Just to clarify a little, Deadline is saying it's nearing $20 million. Variety is saying $17.5 million. One way or the other, it's going to be the biggest sale of TIFF 2019. I think not including the personal history of David Copperfield, which sold before the actual festival to Fox Searchlight. But this is a really, really big deal. And it almost seems like this alternative option semi got them the best of both worlds because if uh, Jackman and Janney might have been rooting for theatrical for Oscar consideration, at least they could be in the Emmys race next year. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think now of the situation we're in with festival sales? Because this has been an interesting year to see how all that goes because there were some, I mean, like astronomically high sale prices at Sundance this year. Then those movies come out, they hit theaters, they don't make all that much money. And I think a lot of buyers went into TIFF basically with cold feet. And they wound up, I think the estimate was something like one solid sale a day, which is still not the greatest market for people to go and seek distribution. So is this just the inevitable path, inevitable path we're heading down? Or do you think there's anything that either filmmakers or buyers can do to kind of, you know, change the tide of the sale situation? I don't know. I, I It's one of those things where, like, I, I don't know so much about the business side of things. And there's lots of thoughts that I, I would personally think. But I suspect that if you actually talk to a producer, they'd be like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I've huh. been doing this for years. Um I, I do think that the festival circuit does allow for some publicity that uh, shouldn't be taken for granted, uh, I, especially uh, as somebody that pays a lot of attention to like what people are saying about different movies. Uh, things playing at TIFF got me really excited for the rest of the year, and it's been a year that there haven't been a lot of movies that I've loved. I'm just surprised the festivals are still running the way they are, given the, the Internet. Like, I feel like so much stuff is going to go towards the Internet. You know, oh, like because the thought of the thought of that as it pertains to film festivals is actually particularly devastating to me. I don't know why I've never like fully thought of that until yeah. you just said it now. Yeah, I mean, you can also reach more people that way. It's the festivals. There's just so much red tape around them. It kind of aggravates me a little bit. Like there are certain festivals where they don't want you putting it anywhere online at all before the festival, which I think is so silly because you're trying to get as many people to look at it as possible, and so. I just like wait, wait. Now I'm confused. What's your beef with film festivals? That there's too much red, red tape for you to have accessibility to their movies? For you to get your movies in there? It's oh, like, oh yeah. no, that's yeah. well, yeah. You know. I mean, but that's that's the nature of a film festival is that you know you want to you want to build a lineup that has really great movies that have the potential to go on and make big sales and you know bring notoriety into your film festival. So I feel like programmers are there for good reason, and it's just on them to do good work. Yeah. Now uh, I do kind of want to see a like Netflix film festival. Exactly. Like set a day aside and well, uh, isn't that what um uh, Amazon did a little while back for their for their TV pilot pilots? Season, where, yeah. yeah, where um, they would uh, they would put a bunch of pilots on Amazon and people voted for them or something. I think there was a voting component, but also you know Amazon execs weighed in too, so it wasn't strictly on viewers. Yeah, but I think it's great that you can put it in the hands of viewers as well. If you're doing everything streaming, if you're doing everything online, and you can reach more eyeballs, like naturally you will reach more eyeballs. 
you know, putting things on the internet rather than it being this exclusive little thing where you got to fly out there, you got to pay your ticket to see, you know, these shows and whatever. But that builds that builds hype. And I guess uh, some of that exclusivity comes from the fact that so it's like, all right, let's play with this idea of a Netflix film festival online. Netflix would need to have some sort of rights to all of those films. I think part of the problem there would be that it's like we wouldn't need necessarily a Sundance or a TIFF. We would need like an internet film festival where people submitted to that and gave the festival the rights to screen their films online, in which case they run the risk of their movie being pirated before it's even sold and maybe adding more complications than it's worth to the mix? Possibly. But, I mean, well, in terms of the rights, I don't see how it's any different from YouTube. Like, you throw your stuff up on YouTube and, and you know, YouTube gets well, to share it and show it. Well, but the second you throw your movie, let's let's say you're, you're a budding filmmaker with a short or a feature. The second you throw your movie up on YouTube, I mean, one, a lot of festivals won't accept you, but also distributors probably won't consider your movie because you've already self-distributed it. That's true. Yeah, there's there's definitely something there. I think I really did appreciate the model that Amazon did with those pilots. It's just I think there's something about just the industry perspective of film festivals that, you know, it it helps like a studio or a streaming service curate and also build early buzz for stuff that if festivals, if festivals didn't happen, I'd be very sad. I mean, there's also the aspect of like, you could pay to, you could still pay like you would for a festival, but just like online, the the same cost that you would for like flying out there and buying the ticket. Instead, you just pay it for the uh, internet service to, to get that in your home or whatever. I really wouldn't be surprised if that was the way, not necessarily the way of the future across the board, but if something like that started Yeah. and if something like that started, I don't know, maybe through Netflix or something. I mean, who knows? Maybe that's actually a place that they could carve out for themselves that would make them stand out from everybody else that's kind of trying to get in on their territory right now. Yeah, um, or, it could be, or it could be a thing where the films that didn't quite make it to the festival circuit but are still noteworthy, you put it on this streaming service that people can watch and people have the option of whether or not they want to see it. Or you know, I think it's cool. It's, worth, it's an idea worth, worth batting around a little bit. Yeah. All right. Before we run out of time today, we have to take some of your questions. I have a feeling you're going to like this one, Silas. Cool. When I eyeballed it, I'm like, that's a Silas question. Black Bantha wants to know, what's your favorite obsolete format? Laser disc for me. I mean, I, honestly, it, it, it doesn't really even apply to movies, but I do miss floppy disks. <laughs> I miss cassettes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hated it when it got unwound and you had to, like, wind it back up with a pencil. That was aggravating. But I, I liked the feeling of popping it in and slamming it shut and, you know, fast-forwarding through it and, you know, finding the songs that you like. I liked listening to music like that. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was silly. But, you know, I was very happy to upgrade to CDs because that was the coolest thing ever. CDs are pretty obsolete as well. I, I like CDs, so... I think I would go with not necessarily the disc, but the player. I really miss having a DVD drive on my laptop. <laughs> I don't think I've ever fully gotten over that. Did you wait? Did you have a laserdisc player? No, I never had a laserdisc player. Did you say laserdisc a few moments ago, though? No. Well, uh, the the question, uh, the the person who submitted the question. Mentioned oh, he said laserdisc. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because my uh, dad, my dad had a laserdisc player growing up, and those things were like these. They looked like records, but like like CD. They were record sized CDs, and they were heavy. They were ridiculous, but they were amazing. Yeah, you they, know? they were amazing just because laserdiscs. While the the format is is sort of garbage by today's standards, was a format that catered to film lovers. Yeah, um, and it was a lot of a lot of movies when they, if they came to a VHS where you could purchase the VHS you would get a pan and scan version, whereas laser discs were, here's the proper aspect ratio. Yeah, uh, that's when I learned about widescreen. I thought, I was like, what's with these black bars? How come this, how come they're covering up my movie, man? I didn't know what pan and scan was back then, but like I learned as a kid, I'm like, oh, okay, you're seeing more of it because of the widescreen. But like, you go back to Laserdisc, George Lucas sold like eight versions of Star Wars <laughs> on Laserdisc. So, Laserdisc was cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, hey, Adam, you back there? Open that window. You're getting our bread question of the day. J. Scott for real says, question for Adam Smith. What kind of bread is a moons over my hammy served on? What, the, what does that mean? Okay. All right, that's cool. So what kind of bread is it? It's just white bread. It's just white bread. All right. 
<laughs> I'm glad we could clarify that. I'll give you guys the option. Do you want a bread question before we leave? That's just you becoming... bread questions. Yeah, oh, we well, yeah, questions. I'll take a bread question. <laughs> I love how people light up about this. I'm I'm sorry I if you're all bread. getting sick of it, but yeah, we love bread. Uh, Death Star Kitty wants to know what kind of bread would each of the Collider crew be. Let's just like leave it to the three of us right now. Uh, well, you're a complex bread. Thanks. <laughs> you yeah. are. You are like some sort of like 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 a hundred percent like whole wheat like you know where it's got like the real seven grain you're seven grain bread that's what you are all right yeah yeah i, I thought we were naming our favorite bread i was very confused no no, no. you have to yeah. like make make me and silas a bread oh jesus Christ. <laughs> silas right i feel like like you are just like a piece of bread that has come out of a Star Trek toaster, like where a Star Trek uh, symbol is is burned into the toast. Thank you. That's not a kind of bread, though. It is it's in my a book. kind of bread. <laughs> what flavor is that? Star what? Trek flavor. <laughs> This has gotten weird. Whenever I go to a restaurant, I, I, I say I want guys, this on Star Trek. You guys all bread. have Dorian to blame for this nonsense. What kind of bread are you? I know what kind of breads I like. I would like to be a bagel. Can I be? Can I be an every? So fitting, actually. Can I be an everything yeah, bagel? That is yeah. so fitting. Okay, that's I perfect. don't know why that's fitting, but I'm fine with it. No, you are an everything bagel. I would have never conceived that, but that yes, that's a perfect. Seriously, Mo- yeah. a, a toasted everything bagel with some country crock on it. It's so good. Okay, while we're doing this, can I say my favorite yes, bread? Please. My favorite bread is a cheesecake factory. That that free brown colored uh, bread that they okay, give out. Okay, yeah, I don't yeah. like the white crap that they try to give me every time. I'm like, I don't want that. I just want the brown one with the butter, and I'm happy. I can just go to. I don't even want the the food. I just want that bread, and I'm good. Okay. That and water, you know, fill you right up. <laughs> you can either make us breads or tell us your favorite bread. Uh, well, I will say, not that long ago, I went to something where people got. There's a restaurant in Hollywood called Gwen's. Okay. And they make monkey bread. And it was, bread? like, insanely good. What is monkey bread? It's, it's like a donut-type bread. They do something to it. I'd never had it before, and it was, like, on this platter, and I tried it, and it was like, <laughs> I, I want to eat nothing but this for the rest of it's my life. It's funny you say it. Our bread question yesterday was, um, is, is a donut considered bread? So, like, that kind of puts the, the, the flavor in, the in a donut being bread. Yeah, okay. I think a donut's bread. All right, I'm glad we're we're coming close to a real answer. Are, are on you that. a donut now? <laughs> I wish. Are you a white sprinkles donut? <laughs> All right. I'm hoping you're enjoying bread talk. In addition to this new format of movie talk, as always, I must thank my panelists, Jabby, Silas. Thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. Cannot wait to see you back at this desk again. Adam in the booth, you rock. Dorian in the live chat, so do you. Guys, do not leave this episode of Movie Talk without liking and sharing it. And also, head on over to Collider Live. They go live at 10 a.m. Pacific. And looks like they've got some of the folks behind uh, Netflix's Dark Crystal on the show today. So you do not want to miss that. Just like you don't want to miss Movie Talk tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Pacific. See you then. Hey, little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.